Welcome to our Women Are Here podcast. I am Alana Mallon. And I am Sambal Siddiqui, and we are Cambridge's two new city councillors. And today we're going to talk about everyone's favorite topic, housing. <laughs> Just kidding. That's not everyone's favorite topic. So let's talk about the Oscars first, which was on, on Sunday night. Yes. Uh, so this was the first year after a long time that I kept up with the movies. Uh, my favorite was Shape of Water. And it won Best Oscar. It did. Yeah. Did you see it? Um, no, because I have two kids, and so I, I don't see movies in a movie theater, but mm. I, I rely on everyone else's. Information. So it was a great movie. It's not everyone's cup of tea, but it's basically about a woman who's deaf, uh, and she's uh, falling in love. She falls in love with this creature. A creature. Like a water creature? A water creature. Okay. He's a man. Well, he's not a man. He's a creature, but... It's a he? It's a he. Okay. Uh, anyway, it, it was a really beautiful love story, in my opinion. And if you'll indulge me, I have to read the poem quoted at the end, because I want everyone to hear it. Uh, some say it's either directly translated from or inspired by a poem by Rumi. Unable to perceive the shape of you, I find you all around me. Your presence fills my eyes with your love. It humbles my heart, for you are everywhere. It's beautiful. Isn't that deep? It's super deep. Oh, my God. So I really, basically, I want that to be read at my wedding. Now, are you going to marry a water creature, or are you thinking something more traditional? Yeah. <laughs> I think that that's probably likely, so let's see. Well, if that happens, I'm definitely coming to your weird wedding Thank um, you. and reading that poem. Oh, I'd you. love that. I'd love that. <laughs> so yeah, but seriously, the women at the Oscars blew me away this year. I oh, mean, yeah. it's been it's been a crazy year with the revelations about the sexual harassment and abuse in Hollywood and how the women have really risen up. And I just thought Frances McDormand's speech was so great. I just loved when she made all the women uh, who were nominated in any category to stand up and accept that award with her and basically said to her, everyone sitting, all the men sitting, you know, we have these stories to tell and projects we need finance. So, you know, don't talk to us about it tonight. Invite us to your offices. Come to ours. We want to talk about this. And I felt so strongly that, you know, this year has been incredible for women and we do need more stories directed by women, uh, acted in by women and about women. I, there's been a real appetite at the box office for those things. So I was excited that she, um, kind of came forward and said that and then she also used the term that i had never heard before called an inclusion writer so i obviously had to look it Same. up like immediately and basically um if you're an actor you do a negotiation on film which means you can act for you can ask for this inclusion writer means that you can ask for or demand at least 50 percent diversity not only in the casting but the crew so this will be a way for women and people of color to ensure diversity on the set which is amazing and you know the women are really rising up and i love it it's a great great uh, idea uh, and then you know ashley judd and selma hayek they presented and talked about the time's up movement which provides free legal services to women who aren't hollywood actresses to come forward to talk about their sexual harassment in their jobs and so far they've raised 21 million dollars that's amazing and there's about you know like around 500 lawyers who are helping these women pro bono and I had to kind of remind myself when I was watching that, that Selma Hayek had that heartbreaking article in the New York Times about her working with Harvey Weinstein. And that story, I felt like I couldn't even breathe when I was reading it. So awful and heartbreaking and raw. And, um, you know, I applaud her telling it, but seeing her in person for the first time was really moving for me. 
And I do, you know, I think this movement is amazing and the way that the women have kind of come together on this has been the one bright spot of yeah. the Trump administration. You know, women realizing for the first time in a long time uh, how much power we hold as a group. So I love also that the Time's Up movement ensures that women, not just Hollywood actresses, but women in different socioeconomic status don't get left behind in this movement. So important. And, you know, my favorite thing to do during the Oscars is just to read Twitter to get everyone's reactions because it is part of, it's the funniest part oh, of the yeah. whole night. And so, you know, like watching Tiffany Haddish, like <laughs> kind of jump the, the red carpet line and curtsy in front of Meryl Streep was hysterical. Um, or the Jennifer Garner shot where she's like smiling and clapping at somebody and then she's totally pauses and looks so thoughtful and Twitter just went bananas wondering like what realization she just ate. Just, she just came to so some of them were so good that I was crying oh my god so funny she's she's so funny she uh you know put some memes up and to one of them she said she was thinking congrats to shape of water maybe I should date a fish <laughs> I mean she, I love that she's so like she's the target of this meme and then she kind of jumps in there with her own like uh, self-deprecating witty thing like I just love, I love her. her yeah all right so Back to the reason why we're here, city council stuff. Um, there's been a few weeks of some housing policy orders that we just wanted to kind of talk to you guys about. Yeah, it's been it's been a busy uh, month so far in the last three weeks. So I sponsored two policy orders. One was related to getting a timeline from community development on incentive zoning. And what that is is it requires uh, the large non-residential developments to make a financial contribution to the Affordable Housing Trust to mitigate the impact of these developments on the need for affordable housing in the city. And the city raised this contribution rate in 2015 to $12. Uh, so, so it's $12, well, it's per square foot. Right? Yes. So, And it used to be that it was just only $4 per square foot. Yeah. And, and so they've decided... That, so it was great that our council in 2015 raised it to twelve dollars and then it's been going up a dollar per square foot every year and now we're at fifteen yeah dollars per square foot and that all goes into the affordable housing trust exactly so uh these are just re this is a really important way for us to fund affordable housing development in our city and as we've seen from our triple a bond rating and associated reports we have a strong economy commercial development is not slowing down it's definitely not i feel like it's sometimes it's even speeding up exactly like all the building that there's just so much building so much uh coming and so in the zoning ordinance as it stands it says that every three years we can reevaluate mm -hmm. uh, and we have to do another study and so this uh, policy order was making sure that we as a city council get that information and we know that the city's working on this incentive study study so that the city council can probably ideally have the option to raise it again in mm -hmm. 2019, 2018. So it, it's exciting stuff. It's exciting. And I'm glad you brought it forward because it was very timely. And um, I'm looking forward to digging into this issue because it's one of the levers that we really can pull um, to create this funding to buy affordable housing or to create affordable housing. Yeah. So we have, to, and you know, it's easy not to read zoning language and, there's so much in there and then you know there's our actual timelines in there so you really want to make sure you're you're following through on these timelines the and i commend you for you know really going through that that zoning book is on my desk and it's it's like five inches thick <laughs> so it's it's, it's hard to dig into yeah it's really long uh i guess the lawyer in me likes this stuff so i know i'm glad you're here <laughs> yeah so i also put a policy order 
on our city uh, agenda, which you also co-sponsored, mm-hmm. uh, applying for a housing choice designation. Uh, the Baker administration recently announced the Housing Choice Initiative, which allows communities to apply to the state of Massachusetts to be designated as a housing choice community. And it's basically a rec- recognition for communities that have achieved production targets and set policies that encourage future sustainable growth. So production targets, you mean housing production. Exactly. Creating new housing. Yeah. So we have to show at least that we've built 500 units in the last five years. Which we totally have blown away. Yeah. We've, we've met that requirement. So communities that uh, apply uh, to, uh, to be in this initiative, they are eligible for you know, a range of critical resources, you know, access to capital grants, preferential treatment when applying to other grants, you know, it really opens up us to more money. Yeah. And, you know, some of the things that I was excited about these grants were, you know, projects that we've talked about, even in the last two months would be, would be eligible. Right. You know, we talk about a bridge over in the quadrangle and the Mm -hmm. triangle. That's something that might be able to be funded with one of these grants. Um, And, you know, talking about Jerry's Pond, everyone's favorite uh, right. Favorite thing to talk about. Um, there could be a low interest loan to kind of do some of that mitigation work. So I'm excited about this and um, I'm looking forward to becoming a housing choice community. Yeah, it's great. We have to you know, always be on the lookout for ways that, you know, we can benefit from Absolutely. money from the state. That's our job. Right. Um, so, yeah, these policy orders received the full support of the council, which was great. Um, but there were some difficult conversations about council. Councillor Carlone's policy order on a tenant's first right of refusal. So a little histoire, um, that's history in <laughs> French here. This was originally an initiative at the state level, which was sponsored by state rep Denise Provost, who is in Somerville? Yeah. Um, partially. And so this would basically give the first right of refusal to tenants if the owner of their unit or building went up for sale. Um The state bill received support from multiple political figures here in Cambridge, uh, Senator Pat Jalen, Representatives Mike Connolly and Marjorie Decker and Dave Rogers all co-sponsored this bill. And and we also, we had that meeting that we we supported their actions. Correct. So the city council, the Cambridge City Council supported that that particular initiative. um, But unfortunately, it did not get out of committee. Um, But basically... If it had gone through the tenants, it would have to be 51% or more of them would have to form a tenants association and either get together and buy their units or they could transfer their rights to an affordable housing nonprofit that could purchase the building for them and keep the units affordable. Um, So this failed, like I said, to get out of committee at the state level and even with a redraft and amendments, which means it's about as dead as it can be at that state level. So since it failed, uh, basically cities and towns who are interested in using this type of legislation can draft their own language, specifically for their own unique housing stock and situation. And once it's approved by the city council, then it would go to the state house as a home rule petition. I'll give you guys a few minutes to look that up. (laughs) Waiting. I should look that up too. (laughs) Anyways, then the state legislature and the governor has to approve it before we could even adopt it locally. So I think the stats in getting a home rule petition through the legislature is like one in eight or something. Um, And just to give you a little history, more histoire, um, we had a first (laughs) right of refusal on expiring use buildings, and that home rule petition took 25 years to pass. So it can be a really long and arduous process that can basically be waiting for a a moment in time where it can pass. Um, So last week, 
we had a policy order directing our city solicitor to draft language for a home rule petition for a tenant's first right of refusal put in by Councillor Carlone. And then everybody freaked out. Oh, yeah. uh, so last Monday night, we had two and a half hours of public comment from property owners, mostly small property owners, who were really upset about this coming up and having no details associated with it. So then um, at the meeting, Councillor Simmons, who co-sponsored it, exercised her charter right, which means we stopped talking about it immediately, and then it went on and could be talked about at the next meeting. So we didn't vote on it last week, and it got moved to this past Monday night's agenda. And then, so in response to the lack of detail, uh, Councillor Carlone filed this amendment uh, that, uh, you know, was basically what Somerville is working on mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, what, you, you know, their, their, their draft, draft language, their draft yeah. language, which is still being, you know, tweaked and worked out. And so we had a lot of public comment about that amendment and that amendment, you know, it, it's complicated. There was... Um, you know, no exemptions there for uh, owner-occupied uh, uh, buildings. So units, one, if you have a unit of, uh, you know, you have a unit and you're living in it, you know, you wouldn't be exempt or you couldn't pass it down to your family. So this was really the concern of our property owners. And during the conversation, it came out you know, from the city council that, you know, the intent isn't to target property owners who have worked so hard to um, build equity and uh, who, who are seniors who uh, want to pass it down, who, you know, uh, really are, were, you know, if they have a disabled individual and, you know, in living in the house, uh, they don't, they really, they want that right to sell this, their family. And I think we all agreed, of course, you know, there will be exemptions, there's going to be some rules, uh, uh, but Unfortunately, what happened was, you know, because of just this amendment um, and how there was really unclear details, uh, there it created a lot of confusion. A lot of confusion and a lot of anxiety yeah. was what I would describe it as. And for me, you know, I looked at kind of Rep's Provest uh, original amendment and kind of why she was pushing for it. Mm -hmm. And she had this example that in, in near Davis Square, there was a 24 unit building that was sold without tenants knowing it was on, even on the market. And that happens a lot. Exactly. It happens in Cambridge. We heard public comment on yep. that. And so for me, this, you know, tenant right of refusable, uh, where I was really supportive of it, and where I'm still supportive of it, is dealing with how we are displacing our low to moderate income households who are living in these buildings, who if there was some funding, if you know, we could work with our nonprofit developers. We could save these buildings because it's too late when these buildings are being flipped over, as we've heard. And you've, yeah. you know, you have some, you know, you've been working with residents on that particular building on 7th Street. Correct. And it was a very similar situation where, you know, we've got, it's a six unit. It's not as big as this one, but it's a six unit apartment building on 7th where, um, you know, several of the tenants are Section 8 voucher holders, but they were literally told one day... Um, they got a notice on their door that they have a new owner, and then the next day they got a notice on their door that says that your lease is not being renewed. And so these are the folks that don't have a lot of options, right? So to place another, to find another Section Eight apartment right. in Cambridge is virtually impossible. So I think Councillor Carlone and and Rep Provost 
what they're really trying to do is prevent displacement out of these larger buildings um, and create vehicles of opportunity for our housing nonprofit partners to access these before they go on the market. Exactly. So that was the spirit and the intention behind the tenant's first right of refusal. Unfortunately, I think we both saw that process can matter. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think in hindsight, you know, this order, you know, you know, we had a few votes that were taken, you know, we had to vote for the amendment, which I didn't vote for. And then we had to vote for just the original uh, policy order directing our city solicitor to draft language I voted in favor because I think this is an important conversation to be had. Um, You know, and what I think, if people listen to our podcast, they know (laughs) that these policy orders, they're not law. (laughs) They don't, you know, they're not binding. This is just a step forward in thinking about the conversation. In hindsight, that particular clause, I would have changed to say, let's just start an open conversation about it. I mean... To, to figure out how many buildings has this happened to, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. To figure out what kind of stock do we have in Cambridge in the first place? Uh, you know, using what Somerville has isn't the right way to go about it either. You know, we have to really look at our local needs, and that's what a home rule petition is about. So, you know, unfortunately, th- what this means is we're not going to be able to talk, tackle this much at all this term. I think you know people will probably be doing some data on this and figuring out um and that's important i think that's where we have to start anyway of doing some kind of we have to come up with a plan on where we want to go i think because of how the process occurred and some of the lack of information from you know as counselors you know we we have intent and we don't always communicate with the community right and that that was one of my one of the things I said on the floor, and I voted against the amendment and against the actual initial policy order, because one of the things that I felt very strongly about was you should be creating public policy around informed needs of the community. So when I reached out to our affordable housing nonprofit partners, they didn't know that this was even up for debate. Um, So I was surprised that you know, Councillor Carlone had had put forward this sort of amendment without actually speaking to the people that would be the end user, you know, be the ones that would be most taking advantage of this. Because I don't really think that, you know, there's going to be a bunch of tenants who are going to form an association and are going to find funding to purchase their building. I think mostly it's going to be these, you know, these two examples that you and I talked about, the one in Somerville and the one in Cambridge, where virtually overnight a building was sold and people then then it's an emergency and we've got to find you have to find 24 right. low-income families a unit i mean there's waiting lists everywhere there's sec- usually using a section 8 a voucher in a private apartment situation is virtually impossible so when we have long waiting lists and then we're adding to them in these sort of critical emergency type spaces this is where i think it would be great um, to have something where at least our nonprofit partners are being made aware that they are on the market. And um, so I was I was concerned that our partners had not known that this was even coming forward. But it was actually good for to have sort of some conversations with them around what would make what make would make them successful in, in accessing more mm-hmm. multi unit apartment buildings. And so I do think that this is a really important conversation to have and having it at the housing committee is probably the right place for it. Like M- mayor McGovern said um, on Monday night, 
we can we can definitely talk about what's right for Cambridge and maybe you know there's a way for us to allow our nonprofit partners to be more nimble in the marketplace mm-hmm. um, raise some more money for the affordable housing trust so that there is more money to purchase these when they come on and then trying to figure out how do we how can we work with what we have maybe it is another home rule petition maybe it is something in our in our zoning um, where we're requiring you know people to to let us know when they're selling their properties or even, you know, working with the small property owners who all showed up, you know, saying they don't want this, but working with them and incentivizing them to let us know when they're getting ready to sell. Cause a lot of them are, you know, senior citizens and um, are going to want to probably either transfer their property to their, their, um, I want to say offspring, but that's not right. I'm not having our <laughs> children, children or family. Yeah. Um, but you know, maybe if they were incentivized to, to, yeah, to offer this to us first, that would be great. But so yeah, these are conversations that we want to be having, especially around affordable housing because it is such a crisis. And um, and I, you know, all of us really care uh, about it, and I think we have to have these difficult conversations. It was a, you know, it, it was a they're tough conversations that happened Monday night, but I think we were really all civil about it. <laughs> we were. I was so happy that everyone was civil. Yeah, I know. Because the week before was a little. Yeah, a little less civil. Um, so I think what we learned, we you know, we learned a lot, and you know, I, I just have to say that you know, we as a you know, community I do have a collective responsibility yeah. to make sure our housing stock is not bought up and converted to these luxury apartments, and then perhaps left empty. Um, that usually doesn't happen, but we do know that it's very difficult to rent here and to buy something here. And it's, you know, it is one of those things where, you know, we that has to be on the radar for everyone that affordability, uh, you know, is a collective responsibility, you know, and we have a duty to protect small landlords. We have a duty to protect tenants and we have a duty to work together to make sure our city provides for our citizens, you know, basic needs, you know, as you know, I'll just spend a minute on this, but you know, as here we go. Yeah, here we go. Um, (laughs) As the history of housing segregation and the racial gap in homeownership, you know, in Cambridge, in the U.S. more broadly shows, you know, property ownership is this, the way wealth is passed down from generation to generation. It's a wonderful thing um, and an an essential part of the American dream that someone can move to this country, work hard and make a better life for their children. Uh, You know, if you work hard, your children should be able to inherit the benefits of that hard work. Uh, but there's another layer to this dream, and that is the historical and systematic exclusion of American, of African Americans, of immigrants, and other people of color from this dream. We can trace it back to the GI Bill, where 98% of the GI housing benefits went to white individuals. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we and the federal government had an explicit policy of redlining. You know, mm-hmm. the practice of denying loans and mortgages to people living in certain neighborhoods based on their race or ethnicity without taking into the consideration, you know, their credit worthiness. And this happens on a daily basis that people of color are denied loans, mortgages, you know. Uh, and w- when we talk about housing, we're never just talking about housing. You know, we're talking about a complex web of history, policy, and cultural practices. So I want to bring that awareness to the conversation because we look at Cambridge and we look at who owns our homes and and who showed up on yeah. Monday night. It was very, very obvious who owns property here in Cambridge. So it, it is something that it should be on our radar. Um, 
and it, it it's quite it's hard to talk about it is hard to talk about and I, but i i'm grateful that you're here to talk about it and i think that you know for me that's why i feel like it's so important to have elected officials who have lived experience and have are living this history every single day that can continue to bring it to the forefront i know councillor simmons does this you know, weekly in our meetings where she talks about race as it relates to different things, just so that we all are kind of having it at the forefront of our mind, especially when we think about this complicated history of housing and where we want to go and what we want our community to look like. So I think I, I'm, I'm ready to have these complicated conversations because now's the time. Yeah. And uh, so I'm really, lo- I'm, re- I'm a co-chair of housing this term with Councillor Simmons and, uh, you know, Alana Councillor Mallon is on the committee as well. And uh, so is uh, Councillor uh, Toomey and Vice Mayor Devereaux. So. Yeah, and we have our first housing committee meeting coming up this month on the 20th. Yeah, and then we will we have a few other schedules. So, so it should it's going to be a really productive term, and I'm excited. And I would have to say, if you're interested in this topic, um, we aren't going to be talking about the Oscars at that meeting, so <laughs> don't come if you think that's what we're going to be talking about. But if you are interested in, in learning more about um, what we're planning to do for housing or um, if you want to hear from some of our affordable housing nonprofits are going to be there to present, um, definitely come. It's... March 20th mm-hmm. from 5 to 7 p.m. Is it in It's the, a Tuesday and it's in the Sullivan Chamber. Please come. And I, you know, I would encourage people to come to this housing committee meeting only because I would love to have more diversity of who comes to these meetings and really help us in this work and and be the community that we need to wrap our arms around this hairy thorny issue and move forward as a community. Yeah, it's a it's certainly a collective uh, responsibility. So you know, housing is complicated. Process is important. So, you know, we'll we'll keep you up to date on the policies um, and initiatives uh, as they relate to housing as the uh, as the months go on. We we did have a great um, meeting, a press conference on the, earlier this week, Monday, right before our city council meeting, on the mayor's immigrant legal aid fund. Very exciting. Yeah, it's in conjunction with the Cambridge uh, Community Foundation, and so the, really the goal is to raise funds. Uh, and we can tweet the uh, GoFundMe uh, out on this. But Definitely. It, you know, it's all about making sure that we provide funding to legal aid agencies so that, that he, they can hire attorneys who are uh, working on behalf of young adults who are previously protected by the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, DACA for short, who are now at risk for deportation, deportation. Um, and to prioritize cases of highly vulnerable persons, including victims of trafficking, sexual uh, and, you know, domestic violence, and to really make sure that we are providing um, these legal services to them so that, uh, you know, ideally that, you know, they, they, they did, that they don't get deported. Uh, we have heard a lot of statistics from an attorney who said having an attorney makes a big, big difference. I mean, the statistics that she referenced, and I wish I had them in front of me, were pretty amazing. Just having an attorney with you increases your your chances of actually walking out the door um, by 50%, 75%. It's a huge number. And, um, you know, I would say that there was a speaker there who was a, a DACA 
recipient. He's a classmate of mine. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. He was wonderful. And I was like, I, there were a few times I did start to cry during his, um, his speech and talking about how he's so involved in the community and he's the executive director of the boys and girls club. And he's been giving back to this community for years. And now his whole status is, um, is in question. And, you know, in March he has to go and um have his interview and he's like I think that that's probably it for me and it, it was just actually heartbreaking to to hear his story to see him and to understand that he's a part of our community and that there are so so many people just like him so give what you can they are trying to get to a, a goal of um 500,000 500, yeah. um they want to they want to hire as many legal aid attorneys as they can so we'll definitely if, if you go into cambridge community foundation's website you'll definitely see the link but we'll definitely both tweet it out so that you can just give generously please share it it's so important yeah and what's happening you know is so unconscionable so we really have to make sure that we help uh, our legal aid agencies. I am a legal aid attorney, so you know I, I I know my colleagues who are doing this work are they would be very very appreciative. So uh, thank you in advance for for doing that. Yeah, and um, just to kind of wrap up, we it's Women's History Month. Yes, yes, it's Women's History Month, um, and we're actually going to be doing an event together um, with the Harvard Square Business Association called Women in Media, and it is Thursday, March twenty ninth at eight in the morning, which I don't know that I realized when I signed up for this. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's going to be in the atrium of 50 Church Street. So uh, Sambo, myself, Mary Catherine Dibel, who was the owner at upstairs on the square, um, and Candy O'Terry. Yes, okay. Candy O'Terry, it's uh, Magic 106.7. <laughs> you know her from there. It's that's I love soft rock, so. And so, and <laughs> so all those folks plus us. So we're going to talk about all kinds of lady stuff. And it's going to be open to all. So you should totally, totally plan on coming. We will also uh, tweet that information as well. So And we'll remind you. We'll remind yeah. you before then. Because I guess it's only March. It's only March 7th. 7th? Ooh, okay. So yeah. we have, we'll, we'll remind you. Yeah, we'll but definitely you. plan on coming because it will be interesting to see Sumble and I actually being on a panel at 8 in the morning. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because that's kind of a tough time. It's but a tough time. we are looking forward to it. And we are grateful that you joined us today. Thank you for being here. Yeah, we hope and we'll you see you. It. Yeah, we'll see you next uh, next week. We are heading to a conference this weekend. The National League of Cities in Washington, D.C. And I went as a high school student, so this is it's going to be emotional. It's, it's going to be emotional, full circle. Yeah, yeah. And maybe you will meet your water creature down there. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I can't anyway, wait. we'll give you updates next week. So tune in. Tune in. Bye. Bye.